Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. We've got some big news at the Seton Shrine. In this 200th year, we have some very special artifacts from Mother Seton coming to Emmitsburg, including her original bonnet, a christening gown she sewed for her daughter, and a lot more. A special exhibit is coming this summer where you can see these treasured relics on display. Also, as a heads up, we had some audio issues with Father Ted's latest homily, but we think it's still definitely worth sharing. Now here's Father Ted. The purification of the temple that we just heard in today's gospel is a very significant moment in the life of our Lord as well as in the history of the Jews because of what the temple was. Now, Jesus was an observant Jew. He followed the Mosaic law. He went to Jerusalem, as we heard today, to celebrate the Jewish feast of Passover. And so he had the Jewish reverence for the temple. And the Jews, as a nation, saw the temple as the most important institution and building of their entire nation and society. The temple was where God dwelt in a special manner. It was God's house. It was the place where God would teach his people. It was the place where they would worship God. It was the place of encounter and sacrifice. And so our Lord very easily would have concurred with the sentiment of the psalmist who said, How lovely, O Lord, is your dwelling place. My soul yearns and pines for the courts of the living God, for the temple. So in light of this understanding of this temple building, what our Lord does there is shocking. You know, we tend to think it's shocking because here is our Lord who is meek and humble of heart, who is kind and gentle, and he's making a whip out of cords and he is driving people out in a very zealous, energetic fashion. On a side note, we can say that if we were that excited and that zealous about the things of the Lord, if we were that enthusiastic and driven to make things right that were out of place, the world would be a lot better place. But what's really shocking is not so much the, the fervor that our Lord is consumed with in this moment, but what's really shocking is the fact that he is, in a sense, assuming some kind of authority over the temple. He's, he's assuming responsibility for what's happening in the temple. He's making an implicit claim to have control over what's happening in the temple. You know, if somebody comes into the basilica here and starts moving pews around, or installing light struck fixtures, or telling people to leave, we're all going to assume this person has to have some kind of authority here. They're a boss. They're in charge. Guests do not move furniture around in the house. The owners of the house move furniture around. And so by taking upon himself this task of renovating the temple, Christ is saying that this is a building which he is in charge of. And that's why the Jews are demanding a sign. They want some sort of a miracle which will delegate him, a miracle which will prove that this is a man sent by God to do stuff like this. Because if you're not sent by God, you're not allowed to do stuff like this. And then we get the enigmatic reply of our Lord, that mysterious reply. Destroy this temple, 
and in three days I will raise it up again. The Jews reasonably thought he was referring to the building. You know, somebody comes in here and says, destroy this basilica and I will build it up in three days again. Right after calling the police, we're probably going to think that this man is a little bit insane. But we're not going to think he's talking about his body. But John clarifies for us that Jesus was talking about his own body. His body is a temple. And this is not the first time that John was talking about the body of our Lord in this kind of, as a, as a domicile, as a structure. You know, for those of you who pray the Angelus ever, you might remember that the phrase from John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. The Word, Jesus Christ, He became flesh, He took on a human nature, and He dwelt amongst us. But the Greek does not say dwell. The Greek says, pitched His tent among us. Or more literally, it says, and the word tabernacled among us. And before we all start thinking about the tabernacle, let's remember that the tabernacle is also the name used to designate the tent in which the Holy of Holies was to be found in the Old Testament. When Israel left Egypt and they went to Sinai and our Moses came down with the Ten Commandments, they had this precious box that contained the Ten Commandments and some other precious artifacts. This was the holiest place in Jewish tradition, and it was housed in the tent designated as the tabernacle. So by calling Jesus' incarnation a tabernacling, he tabernacled amongst us, John is trying to say that this is the new place of encounter with God. Here in Christ is God dwelling. Or like St. Paul would say, in him is the fullness of deity to be found. Colossians 2.9. So John, he's calling Jesus' body a tent, a temple, the tabernacle. And we are made in God's image and likeness. We are brothers and sisters of the Lord. And our bodies too, as Paul tells us over and over again, are also temples. You are God's temple. Your body is a temple. We are the temples of the living God. But there is a very important difference between the temple of the Lord's body, Jesus Christ's body, His temple, and our temples, our bodies. The body of the Lord is all pure. The body of the Lord does not need any purification, but ours is another matter. Our bodies are in need of purification, just like the temple in ancient Jerusalem was in need of purification. Because our bodies can be easily defiled by sin. The New Testament says that especially sins of impurity will defile the body. And how much is that applicable to us in our common, in our current hedonistic society, where sins against the flesh are so rampant? To counteract that rampant sexual impurity which dominates society, um, one of the things that the Archdiocese of Baltimore is doing is they designated next weekend, March 13th to 14th, as Safe Haven Sunday. And it's a Sunday which is meant to raise awareness and to be an invitation to be educated about the dangers specifically of pornography. Because there is a need for education about how dangerous it is since it is something so prevalent. We probably all know this, we probably have all become aware of this general sentiment, but 
it's incredible to see just how widespread this pervasive plague is. Pervasive and perverse plague. Different sources confirm that 30% of all information transmitted on the internet is pornographic. Porn sites get more visitors every year than Twitter, Amazon, and Netflix combined. And in one of these sites, these explicit sites alone, 4.6 billion hours of this material was used in one year. And there was this one accountability software by the name of Covenant Eyes that said that every second there are 28,000 individuals using it. And they're, every single second, spending $3,000 on this multi-billion dollar industry. One out of every five searches on a mobile device is for pornographic material. And among Christians, so not amongst society, among Christians, 64% of men use it monthly, and 15% of women. And this is not just like the church saying that this is a big deal. The World Health Organization has also recognized it as a behavioral disorder. And the U.S. Department of Justice has a memo that says, Never before in the history of telecommunications media in the United States has so much indecent and obscene material been so easily accessible by so many minors in so many American homes with so few restrictions. So this is a phenomenon which is affecting huge swaths of the population. And it's for that reason that Our Lady of Fatima said more than a hundred years ago that the number one reason why individuals go to hell is because of sins against the flesh. Sins of impurity. And it's not enough to say, well, this doesn't hurt anybody. Nobody's affected by these solitary sins. That's, that's, that's not true. First of all, you're affected. Let's remember the supernatural effect where there is a rupture of that union with God. And then our own prayer life. How, like, there was one on Father Brian Nolan. He was the, the chaplain over at Mount St. Mary's for a number of years. He talks about how difficult it would have to be to pray if you spend 10 hours a week watching this stuff and then to get on your knees in front of our Lord. There's just going to be this, it's always possible to pray, you always should pray, but it's going to be this challenge because we are going to struggle to stare face to face with God after we've been face to face with stuff like that. But then even on the natural plane, there are so many detrimental consequences. It hinders one's capacity to open to another person. It instinctively makes us think about relationships in terms of physical relations. So we don't think about heart-to-heart, -heart, personal communication. We think about physicality when interacting with another person. It increases feelings of guilt, anguish, and fear. And then more explicitly, talk, more, specific, more specifically, talking about the, the watching of the pornography, it makes people insensible and uncompassionate to others. And it gradually increases the need for more and more obscene forms and violent forms of it. It leads to unhappiness in marriage and it can easily become a vicious addiction. This is not what Jesus wants for us. As we read in the prophet Ezekiel, I swear, says the Lord God, I take, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, 
but rather that they turn from their evil ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, is what the Lord says through Ezekiel. And freedom is possible. That's something fundamental because despair is a consequence of this addiction, of this vice. So we have to remind people that are struggling with it. They have the ability to say no to our themselves and yes to God. They have the ability to grow in the virtue of self-control, to become masters of themselves, so as to be able to then give themselves to others. Because you cannot give what you cannot have, what you do not have. And so if you do not have control of yourself, you cannot give yourself to another, which is the essence of love. And so, if we are struggling with this, or if we know somebody who's struggling with this, or if we want to prevent other people from struggling with this, what do we do? If you're personally struggling with it, remember the advice of John of Avila. Stay busy. But the devil always finds you occupied. Or like St. Jerome put it at one point, let the devil always find you well employed. And what about for parents to prevent children from falling into this? There's a lot that could be said. Software accountability is a fundamental step, but also there's a very good book written by Jason Everett called Raising Pure Teens. That's 10 different things that parents should do to help their children from falling into this and also get out of it once they do fall. Raising Pure Teens. But everybody, we need to be compassionate. We need to be loving. We need to be merciful with those who are struggling with this. Nobody wants this vice in their life. And many people don't know where to turn, who to go to, who can they trust. And so if we do ever find out that somebody close to us is fighting this, compassion, mercy, care for them, trying to help them out of this pit into which they have fallen. And always remember, Jesus is waiting for us in confession in order to help us with his grace. There, we are allowed to tap into his power. And just as he purified the temple, he can purify us. One last closing thought. The Lord's body is the temple. The temple is the place of encounter with God. In the Old Testament, there was one place on the face of the earth where the Jews encountered our Lord in a unique manner. In the New Testament, in our day and age, wherever the Lord's body is to be found, that is a place of special encounter with Him. And here, the Lord's body is to be found. Come to our Lord. It is the surest antidote against any vice of impurity. Because in Him, all things are possible even the breaking of that chain. And so may the reception of our Lord's body, blood, soul, and divinity in today's Mass give those who are struggling with this the capacity to break free. And may we offer up our communion, if we are not struggling with it, for those who are. Giving thanks to God for having saved us, because we're always in that same situation. Whether we fell into the pit and are pulled out, we are saved by grace. The rest are saved by being kept from falling into the pit in the first place. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.